Welcome to the Servants of Grace podcast hosted by Dave Jenkins. Our podcast exists to provide trustworthy expository messages through the Bible and faithful answers to your theology questions. Now for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, well, welcome back to the Servants of Grace theology segment on this week's episode. Uh, A listener writes in, and they have a great question, and the question is, what is the wedding supper of the Lamb in Revelation? Well, first, let's consider the context of Revelation 19. In Revelation, John shows uh, readers Jesus and his letter to the churches in chapters 1 through 3, and God's throne and the judgments issuing from it in chapters 4 through 16. The book concludes with the harlot, the king, and the bride in chapters 17 through 22. Revelation 19, 1 through 10 closes the section on the harlot Babylon. This section begins in Revelation 17, 1 through 3, and that passage matches the verses that open the section on the bride in Revelation 21, 9 through 10. The end of the section on the harlot uh, in Revelation 19, 9 through 10 is also very similar to the end of the section on the bride in Revelation 22, 6 through 9. Between the section on the harlot in Revelation 17, 1 and 19, 10 and the section on the bride in Revelation 21, 9 through 22, 9, John describes the king and his kingdom in Revelation 19, 11 through 21, 8. Chapter 18 describes reaction to the fall of Babylon. So those who use her lament her fall. For God's people to fall Babylon means the exile is over, and those who use Babylon lose everything they lived for when she falls. And so the people of God are called to rejoice over her in Revelation 18.20, and that's exactly what we see in the opening 10 verses of Revelation 19. Now, wedding customs in the time of Christ were signed by the parents of the bride and the bridegroom. This contract was signed by the bridegroom's parents, and the bridegroom himself would pay a dowry or a down payment to the bride of her parents. Now, such a process began the betrothal period, which today would be called the engagement. One example of this was the one Joseph and Mary were in when Mary was found to be with the baby Jesus in the womb in Matthew uh, one eighteen and Luke two five. So the bridegroom, accompanied by his male friends, went to the bride's house at midnight, creating a torchlight parade through the streets. Such a parade would not surprise the bride, as she knew well that such an event was taking place, so she'd be ready with her maidens. They would then all join the parade and end up at the bridegroom's home. Such a custom is the basis of the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, 1-13. Now, during the time of Jesus, the marriage supper itself would go on for days, as illustrated by the wedding of Cana in John 2, 1-2. And the events described by Jesus in Revelation 19, 7-10 describe the third phase of the wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, John isn't meaning to skip the first two phases of the wedding feast customs, but is communicating they've already happened. The first phase was completed on earth uh, when each Christian placed their faith in Jesus Christ. In, In this case, the dowry was paid by the bridegroom's parents, God the Father, because of the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the bride's behalf. The church is betrothed to Christ much the same way as the wise virgin in the parable. All Christians should be watching and waiting for the bridegroom's appearance. The Lord Jesus, 2 Timothy 4.8, tells us this. 
The, the second phase picture is when Christ comes to his bride and takes the church to the Father's house. The marriage supper follows the third and the final step and is a glorious celebration of all who are in the all, all who are in Christ Jesus, I should say. Well, the great multitude continues its exclamation in Revelation 19, verse 7, which says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The, the multitude joyfully celebrate and honor the Lamb because the day of his wedding has come and his bride is ready. Now, there's a sense in which God married Israel at Sinai, and then when they were unfaithful to him, the prophets indicted the nation as an adulterous wife. God promised to make a new covenant with his people. Hosea 2, 14-23 speaks of that new covenant as a new wedding between Yahweh and his people. Jesus explained that his disciples were not fasting because he, the bridegroom, was with them in Matthew 9, 14, and 15. He told parables about the kingdom of heaven being like a wedding feast in Matthew 22, 1 through 14, and about being ready for his coming as a bridegroom in Matthew 25, 1 through 13. John the Baptist says that his joy was that of the bridegroom's friend, which was complete because the bridegroom have come in John 3:29. Paul explained that marriage is about Christ and the church in Ephesians 5:21 through 33. And so this reference here to the marriage of the Lamb in Revelation 19:7 it points to the consummation of the new covenant that was inaugurated when Jesus died, rose and poured out the Holy Spirit. We can scarcely imagine the the glory of that wedding day. Never has there been a more worthy bridegroom. Never has a man sacrificed more for his beloved. Never has a man gone to greater lengths, humbled himself more, endured more, accomplished more in the great task of winning his bride. Never has a father more wealthy planned a greater feast. Never has a more noble son honored his father in everything. Never has a man treated his bride to be more appropriately. Never has a more powerful pledge like an engagement ring being given than the pledge of the Holy Spirit given to the bride. Never has a more glorious residence been prepared as a dwelling place once the bridegroom finally uh, takes his bride. So great will be the rejoicing. Great will be the exaltation. There will be no limit to the glory given to the Father through the Son on that great day. And never has a bridegroom done more to qualify his beloved to be his bride. Never has a bride needed her bridegroom more. Never has there been a a wedding more significant than this one. Never has there been a prince with more authority taken a bride with less standing. Never has a bride had her prince die for her, uh, rise from the dead for her, and give her his standing before the Father. Never has a bridegroom loved his bride more. Never has a has a bride waited as long for her bridegroom. Never has a bride sung more songs to her beloved. Never has there been a wedding with, with more guests than this one than this one will have. Never has a, a wedding taken place on more of a momentous occasion, the end of the overlapping of the ages and the ushering in of the kingdom. Never has there been a marriage like this one. And we see this in, Revel- in Revelation 19.8 with the statement, it was granted to her. It's a divine passive. God granted her to clothe herself. Uh, back in Revelation 7.14, those clothed in white robes had washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And the fact that he is the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19.7 brings this meaning here as well. And added to that is a statement that not only have the stains of misdeeds been washed away by the blood of the Lamb, the righteous deeds make them make the fine linen uh, shine. So we need to ask the question, 
Why is this so important today? Well, when believers seek to understand the blessings that await us in glory, the Bible provides a variety of images. Psalm 23 depicts Christ's sheep grazing on the high, high tablelands, lush green grass after their annual journey. What the Christian has not reveled in blessed anticipation of the psalm's final verse. Psalm 23, verse 6, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Revelation 19, 7, As a glorious vision of a, of a wedding banquet after Christ has taken his bride, and the choir sings, Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory, for the merits of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. The biblical episode between Hosea and Gomer is instructive to illustrate the importance of this. Soon after their wedding, Gomer turned away to chase after her lovers, which was God's picture of Israel in its sin of idolatry. Gomer's sin plunged her into such a depraved state that, that she was being sold as a slave in the market. There, as the various men bid on her exposed body, the voice of her husband was heard once more. One man bid uh, 13 shekels, but the voice of Hosea cried out a bid of 14. Another man uh, countered with a bid of 15 shekels, but Gomer's husband cried out in Hosea 3.12, 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a, a lechness of barley. And it was then clear that no one would outbid the prophet. So his wife Gomer became his once again. And then Hosea 3, 2 through 3 says, Then I told her, he said, You are to live with me many days. You must not be a prostitute or be intimate with any man, and I will behave the same way towards you. And see, if you have not turned in faith to the love of Jesus Christ, then this episode describes your condition and the redeeming love he offers your soul. What higher love can you discover than the redeeming love found in Jesus Christ alone? And if you responded to his call, offering your faith and your love to him, then Jesus will take you to himself for all eternity. He'll be your beloved Savior and your glorious Lord, and by his grace at work in you, you will respond in faithful covenant love and worship back to him. Every believer of, of the gospel will be blessed together with the Son of God, along with the entire glorious host of his blessed church, so long as you both eternally live. The wonders of wonders is this, trust in Jesus, and he will come for you on that day. Is he coming for you? Are you trusting him? If not, uh, what are you hoping for for the future? What What is more to be desired than what he offers? It, and if you're trusting him, he is coming for you. How do, how do you make yourself ready as Revelation 19.7 describes? The answer is given in Revelation 19.8. The Spirit wrought righteous deeds through faith in Christ alone. This passage is here so that by the Spirit in faith we will walk in righteous deeds that will shine like fine white linen on that day. And contemplating the wedding day that awaits us means meditating on the bridegroom who is coming for us. And this should not only inspire Christians to do righteousness, it takes all the energy out of evil. Greed turns, generos uh, greed turns to generosity because the bridegroom has met our deepest need and will supply all of our wants from his glorious riches. Lust gives way to uh, contented joy in what we have because the bridegroom offers pleasures more full and free than anything that the world has to offer. Uh, sloth and laziness are turned to zeal for the kingdom because the bridegroom, King Jesus, summons from us our best and our most diligent efforts. Anger and vindictiveness become patient, longing for the bridegroom to enact judgment that is true and just. 
Envy is replaced by satisfied happiness at the joy of others because we know that the bridegroom will give us what we need now and we will lack nothing when he comes. Gluttony is turned to uh, disciplined moderation because the bridegroom satisfies our cravings. Pride vanishes and we boast only in the cross. The bridegroom deserves all the glory. Well, I want to thank you for listening or watching this episode of the Servants of Grace Theology segment. Until next week, may the Lord richly bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to the Servants of Grace podcast today. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe leave a rating on the app, and share our episode with your friends and family. If you'd like to, you can follow us on Instagram at Servants of Grace, on Twitter at Servants of Grace, or by searching Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this podcast on the front page of our website at servantsofgrace.org.